many moms have this high powered career. They're going to the office. They're, they're getting stuff done. And then overnight they're at home with a screaming creature, no instruction manual, sleep deprivation. It's a huge shock and change, right? Welcome to Ambition Theory, Women in Construction. This show asks questions that everybody is thinking about, but doesn't want to say out loud. It's about tackling complex topics like why are there so few women in senior leadership positions? What is it going to take to change this? Each episode is a combination of motivation and tactical strategies to get ahead. We get out of our comfort zones and we take action. We learn, grow, and create opportunities. I am your host, Andrea Jansen, a certified executive coach with an MBA, and since 2018, I've coached over a thousand construction professionals to level up their leadership. Let's get started. Kenya, welcome to Ambition Theory, Women in Construction. I'm so excited that you are joining us here today. Kenya is the founder of Pros and Babes, and as a strategic advisor to moms in competitive, corporate, high stress, and STEM careers, she helps them to navigate the pressures of motherhood while growing successful careers and a happy family. Kenya, can you introduce yourself and tell us what you're all about? Hi, well, you, you did such a great job introducing me. So thank you so much for that. But yes, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a mom of two little boys. Uh, I'm, I'm counting. They're almost three and almost five. And my past has been an award-winning investigative journalism and corporate communications before pivoting into entrepreneurship about five years ago, just around the time when I became a mom. Okay, so I'm, I'm curious a bit more about making that transition from being a journalist to helping moms thrive professionally. Can you kind of take us back to that time? I guess it's when your first child was born, when Pros and Babes was getting off the ground. What was going on for you professionally at that time? Yes. Yeah. So I remember the exact moment when I reserved prosandbabes.com. I was a few months pregnant in a new job. I had, I had, when I went from journalism into corporate communications and I did the, the whole lean in thing. So I was offered a promotion just as I found out I was pregnant uh, around the three month mark. And I was really wondering if I should disclose it and talk about it. And long story short, I did. And I grilled the new boss about the circumstances that I would face as a new mom and going on maternity leave and everything seemed really promising. So I'm sitting at my desk with my bump and I was volunteering for a women in leadership organization. And I noticed there's a huge gap for moms. We talk about women in leadership, but we never talked about moms in leadership. And in terms of the events we were organizing, I thought, where are we? Are we choosing mom-friendly venues? Are we doing the activities at mom-friendly times? And the answer was no. So I thought I need to do something about it. And I thought pros and babies, pros and babes, like from the mouth of babes. So I reserved the domain and I told myself I would do something about it. Fast forward about a year later, my son is born. He's four months. We just got back from a trip to Europe visiting my family. He's sleeping and I'm not sleeping, which is kind of almost never happens to a new mom. And I put together this curriculum uh, on prosandbabes.com to bring together moms to talk about career and family. And that's where I noticed there was a huge, huge gap in the conversation is the first women who rallied with me really loved the curriculum. And they said, well, what are you doing next, Kenya? So I launched another program and another program and another program and one for working moms and one for working dads. And that's how Pros and Babes really took off, because I noticed that the moms who came to our 
career-minded moms group. We met every week to discuss back-to-work planning and finances. We started seeing all of these issues, and so I built a robust curriculum around it, and then it started mushrooming into what is my occupation today. That's the that's a short story. There was a lot more of crowdfunding and experimenting and, you know, hiring and developing new things. But but it really started with me, my bump and thinking, wow, you know, we never talk about moms in leadership and we don't do anything to support women at that time. So let's get the conversation started. Can you actually talk about some of the challenges just that mothers face in leadership? There are, well, there are a number of things to answer that question. I have to talk about the very big transformation that happens when you become a mother. It's called matrescence. It's the emotional, psychological, and physical changes that happen when you become a mom and your values and priorities change, which directly affects your leadership potential and how you show up in the world, right? So many moms have this high-powered career. They're going to the office. They're you know, they're, they're getting stuff done. And then overnight they're at home with a screaming creature, no instruction manual, sleep deprivation. It's a huge shock and change, right? And nobody prepares you for that identity change. So the challenge that I see is moms don't go through a thoughtful reflection on who they are. They try to use their pre-baby mindset to navigate the world but they don't feel the same and their values and priorities have changed. And so the typical challenges around mindset, relationships, support systems, and finances, those are kind of four core challenges that we see for mothers in leadership. The mindset comes from the change as a working mom. You don't want to be seen as less committed to your job. Statistics show that moms are often seen as less committed to their jobs, right? When it comes to relationships, there's a huge shift. And I'm going to talk about like a heteronormative couple. I, I mostly work with, with couples, men and women. So I, you know, I can generalize to other categories, but often I see women with their partners and they feel like they're doing two jobs and the partner is not contributing the same way. So there's a huge mental load and frustration. So that is the second challenge. If you're trying to navigate a demanding career and advancing in positions of leadership, while being resentful about your partner and his promotions, that's not a great mix. You have to be really strategic about it. Third challenge is around support systems. I can say practically without the shadow of a doubt that if you're going to be a dual career couple, two highly demanding careers and children, and you don't engage support systems like at home or you know childcare or mental health support, you're often going to be in trouble. And finally, finances, you know, depending on how much leave you take um, and what your situation was before you went on leave, your your financial situation will change. You have new expenses, you have new worries, and it takes some very strategic planning because your employer will not prepare you for that. When you're tackling insurance policies, taxes, you know, wage gaps, that often puts people in a state of, you know, what can I afford? Should I go back to work? Is it worth to go to work? So when you ask me the question, what are some challenges for women in leadership is that there's a lot that changes and sometimes we don't, well, we usually don't stop to take stock of these challenges and bring a new mindset to them, right? Mindset as a new mother, mindset for your relationships, for your finances and support systems. And that's where I see women struggling a lot, primarily uh, when they're going into that transition into motherhood and then working motherhood. 
Yeah, one thing I've noticed, so I have three kids, so I've had three, uh, yeah, three kids. Uh, and one thing I noticed in the support when I was becoming a new mother, there's a lot of support in like how to take care of the baby, um, how to meet friends, how to teach your kid how to read, what to feed your baby. And it's really focused on the, the child, but not so much on the mother. And my own personal experience was I felt like a lot of the discussion was short term, really. Like the discussions in my mom's group were like, are you going to go back to work or not? And we didn't really talk about the bigger picture, right? It was just, it was such a short-term focus of like, really, what's the next six months going to look like? What's the next year yeah. going to look like? And I'd love to hear your perspective on that. What a great question. This is the total opposite of what we do. So you asked me what we do uh, and what I do. So I, I run Pros and Babes and we offer a program called the Mom MBA, Mom MBA. And what we do through that is a strategy, a long-term strategy for success as a working mom. And we actually take a step back and develop a 25-year vision through a very creative, intuitive, soulful process. It might seem daunting when I say this, but actually when we do it, it's, it's beautiful. It doesn't take a lot of time. We engage the senses and we visualize where we want to be in 25 years and what our kids are going to say about us. And then we divide life into about 12 pillars. We, we have activities in about 12 pillars of our life. So our beliefs, our relationships, money, health, leadership, right? Family life, a family vision statement. So we take that vision and then we break it down into about 12 buckets. And we say, well, at the biggest, you know, on the big picture level, what in 25 years, when you look back at your life, as a mom, as a working mom, what are the big milestones that you're going to celebrate? What are the memories you want to create, right? We're not just looking six months, six months ahead. How am I going to go back to work? But we're, we're asking the question, what are you building? What legacy are you building? Why are you a working mom? What do you want to be celebrated as when you retire? What do you want your kids to remember about you as a working mom? What do you want your spouse to remember in your memories? And that is a completely different approach than being stuck on autopilot or just kind of mopping up the day-to-day -day messes, right? And, um, and, and just trying to get the next thing done. So I loved your question. I, my perspective is that it's so important to take a step back. You know, we, we develop business plans for companies. We develop financial plans for our bank accounts. But what about a strategy for your family life and your working life, the most important project of your life, Right. It's worth asking some good questions as to why am I doing all of this? What matters to me? What values drive my decisions? And what will kids, my kids remember about our time together growing up? I love that you'd start with the big picture first, because that's what we do with our coaching clients as well. <laughs> we imagine the retirement party and think about what is this legacy that you're creating um, in your career as a leader? Like what kind of, we really focus on leadership at, at Ambition Theory of like really what kind of leader you want to become, because you really need to see that big picture in order to make the first step really clear. And yeah. I haven't seen and like honestly like my youngest is five so it's been a while since I was a new mom um, but there were people weren't talking about that kind of stuff when my, when I was home with them um, on parental leave so I want to go back though because I want to understood I want to understand the moment when you realize like there's a better way we actually need to be thinking <laughs> the bigger picture for mothers and we need to think about that legacy how tell me about the moment when you realize like we need to take this approach uh, there were a few, but there's one I really remember when before the pandemic, I ran this initial programming, these eight week programs where once a week we would meet with moms and their babies. And so it was this beautiful setting not far from my house. I would take my kids 
And I was sitting there with about eight to 10 moms doing a visualization by a mentor that's pretty popular, Tara Moore. She does this inner mentor visualization. So you can imagine, and that takes you into the future as well, right? As, a, as an older person, um, you know, your, your inner mentor speaking to you. So imagine me with these moms, 10 moms, their babies, and I'm asking them to close their eyes and visualize their inner mentor through this kind of galactic trip it was really really funny it was really funny because of course babies are not going to let mom sit still with her eyes closed right they were yanking and pulling and crying so I, I cut that visualization short and I actually just asked them to open their eyes and I said you know what imagine you're on a beach with your child in 25 years what are you drinking to celebrate is it a tea or is it a martini or water and what are they saying about their life with you and that was such a powerful question you know, to, to modify this women in leadership approach to actually the moms. And we had such a fruitful discussion. And so that kind of laid the foundation for the whole structure of the mom BA program, that exercise that I did, what are your kids, what are you going to celebrate with your kids in 25 years? And uh, I don't remember what the question, oh, you asked me, you asked me, what was that moment? So that's when I, when I saw you know, it, these discussions usually bring up tears. When I ask women to visualize their kids in 25 years in a really beautiful setting, it gets extremely emotional. You know, women, when I say, I, I've never been asked this question or, wow, this is a big deal, right? And so I realized how powerful it was to imagine your kids as adults thinking of your legacy as a family. And so that's when I noticed, okay, this, this tool has something interesting to offer. And so I started building on that and then breaking it down and using a lot of tools I like to use for life planning to put the, the kind of like the meat on those questions and, and think about it. What, what does it mean for my, my uh, relationship with my partner, for my finances, for my health, for my relationship with my kids? And then I started noticing that when I did that with my clients, they got amazing results. Like they, they started going from a place of anxiety and always feeling rushed. And I want to get everything done right now to, you know what, wait, this is a sprint, right? No, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Like I'm building something over a long-term period. I don't have to hit all the milestones in one year. And then I started seeing that when people were intentional, they started getting promotions, more money, the relationships with their partners started being better, the relationships with their kids, their levels of confidence and then the guilt piece, right? There was the question you, you, you will ask me to, um, to explore in terms of mom guilt. When people have intentionality and purpose and they know their values, they're more attuned to the messaging coming from guilt and they don't let them, they don't let the guilt reduce them to a pulp. They actually use it as insight about what they value. And it's a much more positive experience than remaining in guilt and sometimes even in shame that you're not a good enough mother. Right? Okay. So I want to talk um, about this guilt yeah. again. Okay. I want to probe this question about that because this came up in a workshop that we were facilitating a couple months ago and a whole bunch of people were sharing that and they all work in construction. And one thing about construction is the hours don't align with daycares or schools. Yeah. So you're usually, you're starting earlier and the hours can be intense. Um, on a positive side, the salaries are pretty good. So it's a really great um, industry for women to be in. Um, but across the board, people were just bringing up this feeling of mom guilt. And I was surprised because it wasn't just the new mothers. There was, there were women in that group whose kids were going over, going off to university and they were experiencing that guilt when they were looking back, they're thinking, did I work too hard? Um, like, did I give up too much to have this career? And they were and it. It was just across the board. And 
I want you to t- like, where does this come from? Like, I want to talk about, I know you said it comes from like your values of like when you're not in alignment with your values, but can you expand on that and also talk about what to do about it? Because the, the last thing I want is we want is for people to feel guilty because it doesn't create opportunities. It doesn't create love. It's you said it, it's coming from a place of shame. How do we, how do we address it? So we don't have to deal with those feelings or maybe we do, maybe we do have to deal with them and there's a better way. This is a really tough question and there's not an easy answer. So I'll try to take like a bigger social context and perspective and then zoom in into the difficult choices we have to make as mothers and women. I grew up in a very progressive society in Eastern Canada and Quebec, where I heard many, many times you can do anything a man can do and you can have it all. But as we discovered as women who have kids, you know, a lot of people, a lot of moms say, I thought I could have it all. I didn't know I'd have to do it all. And they didn't realize how precious of a resource time is. And so you have this internal tension, you love your career, but then you have this new identity as a mother. And we can find that these things are very hard to reconcile if you have long working hours, right? So number one, to answer your question, I think a lot of that comes from expectations that we had growing up that almost I had the expectation that when I'd have kids, they'd kind of be like my sidekicks and life would go on as usually. But it's, as you know, with three kids, it's not, that's not what happens. You just start having a lot more responsibilities and people to take care of and your identity changes. So, you know, we, we were, we were taught that we could have it all, but at the end of the day, it's not that simple logistically, right? Number two, when we're talking about the values and the guilt, it's so important to take a step back and ask yourself, okay, I was told I could have it all, but here's my reality. I feel pulled in all directions. I feel stressed. You have to ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? And what are my non-negotiables truly? So what would be the opposite state of guilt? What is it that you want for you and your kids? What are the memories that you want to build together? I was talking to a mom recently who has so much on the go right now. She has a maternity leave coming up, but so many professional opportunities as a contractor. And, you know, she's like, I don't have the time to take a maternity leave, but I want to spend time with my child. And I said, okay, well, make a list of actually 12 things you absolutely want to do with your child that you want to build and be proud of, put it on the calendar and work everything else around that, right? People often get trapped in the guilt, but they don't think about the opposite state they want to be in. They just want to quash the guilt without taking the information that comes from the guilt. So my second part of the answer is guilt is information about what matters to you. And if you know your values and what matters to you and what you're building, you should be able to take a step back and build a different future. Maybe in the short term, you're making some sacrifices and you're spending more time in this season of life on your career. But if you really want to be present for your kids, what are you going to do in six months, nine months, 12 months? What support systems, what financial planning, what negotiations with your partner are you going to put in place to be able to honor that side of motherhood that you feel is not, you know, coming to life in the way that you would like, right? So, Use guilt as an information to empower you about what values and what pieces of your life vision are not being honored right now. Then develop that vision, assess your values, give yourself time to implement the vision and make change for the future. Don't put pressure to solve it all right now, right? Just write it down and decide that in six months, nine months, 12 months, these are my non-negotiables for my family. And that's what I'm going to do to get there. It's Somewhat oversimplified, I know there's more complexity to it, but when I go through these exercises with my clients and I see the results, they are big. I'll give you an example. 
of an engineer. Her and her husband actually work in construction. Their biggest season is the summer. And they had a second child and they asked their company for parental leave during the summer season, which had never been done. And they were prepared to have it refused, but actually they did enough planning. Both the mom and the dad got six months off during the summer. So now they're looking forward to memories with their children. And that stems from them having a vision, knowing their values, doing financial planning, having the courage to ask for what they want in time, being prepared for a rejection, but also knowing what are their non-negotiables, right? And they've been doing all this work together. And they told me, you know, this has been the most stressful year professionally, but we haven't had one single blow up fight with my husband. And that never happened to us, right? So they went from guilt and anxiety and fights to actually determining this is what we want for a family. These are our dreams. This is the way to get there. These are the support systems we'll put in place. And going from a state of guilt, anxiety, and fighting to actually building beautiful family moments together. It is possible. It takes time. It takes grace. It takes patience and a willingness to accept rejection. But it is doable to some extent, right? Yeah. Okay. I love that you brought that up. There's a, and this story is really powerful because there's so many different players in the story. And I want to talk about how to actually get all those players on board, right? Cause it's one thing to like, you're with your baby and you're having this great vision of 25 years, what you want your kids to do. But then the reality is you got to come back to the present. And usually the plan cannot be executed in a silo, right? You can't just yes. sit there with your baby and do it alone. Um, can you talk about the kind of conflicts that come up for people when they're executing these plans. I think the biggest conflict that comes up is the mindset block around asking for help. Many women grew up seeing their moms not asking for help and they think my mom didn't get a cleaner, so I shouldn't, I should be able to do it by myself or, and, and that's where a lot of the tension arises is if you refuse to ask for help, how are you going to create more time? Right. If you take a project management perspective to your day, then you have to realize you're trying to squeeze in, you know, 50 hours of work in 24 hours. That's not possible. It's not doable. So we have to do the math. Right. So that's the first conflict that arises. And that interestingly has been the hardest to overcome for many is women know what they should be doing, but then they delay it. So in the last year, what I've seen when I got together with my clients, the overwhelming theme and women who made huge breakthroughs and those challenges we're discussing is they actually outsourced people, you know, they got ha- a handyman or a handywoman to come, they got a cleaning service, they got yard work done. If both parents are working 60 hours per week, when are you going to get those chores done? And that's where I saw those breakthroughs. So, you know, first challenge is in the mindset, you have to convince yourself you're worthy of hiring the help that it's an investment in your family happiness and in your career. Then often you have to get your partner on board. So that's where that vision is really powerful is when you're on both the same page as to what you value in the season of life, then it, it becomes much easier to start engaging those resources. So once a woman decides, okay, I want to um, get help, She'll have to sit down with her partner and sometimes be strategic. Some, some partners are on board very fast. Some, it takes a little bit you know, more time, right? So that, that is one of the conflicts that arises. And then judgment of others. Judgment of others. We see you've had discussions this week where a mom will decide to go away for a few days and her mom will say, well, that is so selfish. And mm-hmm. so do you, you know, do you, do you internalize that? Or actually, are you so anchored and, and, willing to honor what you need for your own mental health that you're able to say, you know what, you can think that, but actually those three days away from me 
are setting the example to my daughter that self-care is important. I'm not going to get angry about the selfish label. I know that it's not selfish. It's self-care and self-love. And I want to teach my kids self-love. So I'm going to go. Oh, I want to tell you a story of what happened to me, like my own experience when I went away, um, because it like the judgment in like, even like a lot of it's in our heads, a lot of it's external, but I remember, and this is when I was just getting started in the coaching profession. So I did a coaching certification, uh, with Royal Rose university, which is in Victoria, um, on the West coast of Canada. And I lived in Halifax, which is the East coast of Canada. And my daughter was I think she was maybe one and a half and, and it was like a week, um, residency. So you have to go there for a week. And then it was like six months online. So I went there for a week and I actually extended the trip because a good friend of mine had moved to Vancouver a couple of years before and hadn't seen her. And so I went to the course for a week and then I went to Vancouver and I spent two days, um, with my friend, Nicole, and we went to a party. And I remember people at the party were like, just here's my friend Andrea. She's here, blah, blah, blah. She's got these two kids. And everyone at the party was like, how are you doing this? Like, how are you here? Like, I don't understand. Like what did, how come you're here? Like, how did this work out? Like they just couldn't understand. And I interpreted it as judgment. I was like, they're judging me for being a bad mom, for leaving my kids behind for a week, for taking extra time to connect with my friend and go to a party. And it was just like this internalization of the judgment. And I shared that with my friend, Nicole. I'm like, your friends are all judging me. Like, I feel like I'm being judged. Like what's going on. And she's like, Andrew, they're not judging you. They just can't imagine that happening in their life. And they're actually curious about how you made this work. And I was like, Oh, and so this powerful of like judgment is such a powerful, I don't know if it's an emotion or a feeling or an action, but it can rob you of like joy, like so much joy. And I'm so grateful for Nicole for that. We have that friendship that I could bring up my feelings with her so we could, you know, crush that judgment so we could enjoy the weekend together. But can you talk about that? Because I feel like that judgment of ourselves, the judgment of others, it's just, it's such a powerful thing. It's so negative. You have to ask yourself, is this serving me and my family to be in self-judgment all the time? Do you want to be anchored an external validation of what it means to be a good mother and a good professional or do you want to be creative and trust your own vision of what is good for you and your family that takes reflection it takes taking a step back and really thinking about what you want right so what I see with a women journeying in our community is we do this 25 year vision. And then every month we work over one pillar, right? The relationship, the finances. And so we have a reflection content, but there's some journaling as to what do you want in those categories? What does success look like for you? And so what's super interesting is that in the first round of defining success, people often define success through the eyes of their parents or through what society taught them. And then they'll have to go back and do a second draft and think, well, what do I really, really want? What are my values? One of the stories I love the most and I keep on sharing all the time is we're doing a values assessment with a new client. And so she said her top core value is performance. And I said, okay, that's really interesting. That's the first time that came up in our community. So let's explore that. How did that come up for you? What does it mean? And upon reflection, she realized that it wasn't her value, it was her parents' value and that she did not want to continue building her life solely on the value of performance that actually, I think family happiness and health came up as top core values after that reflection. So on that first round, we often unearthed everything that was taught to us. 
And then comes the more daunting task of, is this really what I want? What do I keep? What do I reject? What do I create anew? It's a whole inventory of your whole life and what matters to you. So you asked me the question about the self-judgment and self-guilt you know, or, or guilt. We often stay in that because we rarely take the time as mothers to reevaluate who we are. There's so much of our identity that changes. We, you know, we feel like we lose ourselves as humans. We gain motherhood, but then sometimes we think we're only a mother or we're only a worker. What about all the things we used to do before we had kids? What about the depth of our soul? So I, I think that the transition from seeking external validation to trusting your ability to create your own vision individually and as a family as to what matters to you can really ground you and take a step back and say, hey, you know, my vision is to have friends and take care of myself and take care of my intellectual interests. And by being here with my friend, I'm honoring that and I'm proud of it. And, and it fits with what I want to teach my kids and it fits with how I want to feel and it fits with how I, what I want to build in my lifetime. How can you feel guilty when you're you know, in alignment with what you intentionally decided to create you know, the impacts on your family, on your marriage, if that's the case for you, on your kids and what you're teaching them, it feels so much better versus seeking external validation for what a good mom is supposed to be, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, thank you for that. If you are an HR professional or a construction leader, and you're curious about how you can better engage and support your female staff, we have some exciting news to share with you. Ambition Theory has developed industry-specific leadership training program for women in line with the Canadian Construction Association's Gold Seal Certification Program. The goal of these programs is to help companies develop leaders from the talent that already exists internally. There is a war for talent in the construction industry, and engagement and retention are among the best ways to address this. If you want to learn how Ambition Theory can help you improve employee engagement and retention, go to ambitiontheory.ca and book a call with us. And now back to the show. I want to shift the conversation to more of these external stakeholders. So to, to execute this vision, we need like your employer to be on board, right? You need coworkers, you need a boss, you need suppliers, you need um, all of those things to kind of align. How do you navigate that? Because I'm like, I'm, I'm imagining people realizing like, this is a vision for my family and there being tension with the culture in the organization where they're working may not align with that. So how do you navigate that? Cause that's a big piece of it as well. I would say step-by-step. Step. It is a big one. Society has not ca caught up with, with working moms. So there are many tensions that exist. For example, there's not often affordable quality childcare available just in your industry, as you described, right? So what we usually do when we have this 25 year vision and we have these 12 pillars, we choose the domino effect. So we zoom in on four particular ones that really matter. And then we see what do you need as support systems there? What is your domino effect, right? In, in the case of like sourcing support, I like that you said that a lot of women in your industry, finances are often not an issue. And you can take a step back, look at your cash flow over time and consider these support systems as an investment. So childcare is an investment. For example, maybe in your industry, women have to rely more on a, a live-in nanny service. If you're going to be making a lot of money. In oh, it's not that not kind of money. It's not that kind of money. It's not like most people cannot afford a live-in nanny. It's not that level. Uh, like depending on what level you are in the organization. Um, but most people, when they're having their first kid, they probably can't afford a live-in nanny. 
I would still encourage this in your lifetime. If you look at you and your partner and you're making good salaries, you will make millions of dollars. And people sometimes confuse short-term cash flow constraints with the bigger picture. Sometimes you're going to have to spend more money in the short term to protect your career capital, right? And so people tend to take a step back from the workforce thinking I can't afford to work without doing a comprehensive lifetime financial plan. Mm -hmm. And that's why in our community, we bring in a financial planner, an expert, like I, I don't want to give any professional financial advice. I bring experts to do that. But it has been absolutely eye opening for our professionals in the community, people who thought they couldn't afford something like a live in nanny or support services have completely switched their mindset because they readjusted their cash flow finances and different sources of income to realize that I cannot not afford to engage the service. Right. So it's hard for me to explain this in two minutes, but the shortcut I like to say is that over your lifetime, if you look at the big picture, you're going to make millions in your lifetime. One thing we discovered with our financial planner this year is you're actually likely going to spend more money on taxes than on your mortgage. So if you sit down with a financial planner and optimize your tax strategy and build the right assets, you might take a step back and realize, you know what, if we do tweak this, this, and this, getting a live-in nanny is going to allow me to do X, Y, Z. I'll be able to make more money. I'll be able to save on taxes there. And maybe I can afford it where I thought I couldn't. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So I guess what you're saying, like the thing that I'm taking away from this is really is that like organizations haven't really caught up like structurally and culturally to the double working family. So we kind of in the short term need to kind of put these stop gaps in like the live in nanny in order to kind of get through. So like really um, until the organizational culture in that in catches up, is that kind of where we're at today? To some extent, and I don't know if I answered the question really well the first time you asked for it, there are employers who are more flexible and there are companies who can support flexibility operationally. And a lot at the end of the day, what I will say to answer to your question, a lot falls on the mom's shoulders. A lot falls on the mom's shoulders to organize their support systems. I thought that when I was going on maternity leave, I could reach out to my HR department and they would explain to me how my benefits are affected, how my insurance policy is affected, what my cash flow might look like. I mean, not to that extent, but I thought I would be able to get clear answers. And that wasn't the case at all. I went into my first maternity leave feeling completely in the dark, not knowing how much tax I would owe, not knowing how much my company would pay me. And it was very frustrating. But what I realized two years in, let's say, in talking to other moms, they said, you know, it wasn't that bad in the end. Like we made it work financially, where uh, all things considered with the tax returns and everything we did. I wish I wasn't so hard on myself and I was nickel dime. I wasn't nickel diming mm. myself so much. So that's, that's what I mean is you have to take a big picture, the 25 year vision, or even a five, 10 year vision, and really reevaluate the true cost of making or not making those investments in support systems, whether it's a nanny, whether it's somebody who comes to clean your house, whether it's a virtual assistant, there's a period of your life when your kids are really small, where you're strapped for time and energy, and you have to be really strategic as to how you allocate your resources. If you take a step back, look at your finances. One question I like to ask is, would you prefer to spend seven thousand dollars on a one week vacation or would you prefer to use that seven thousand dollars over the year to get extra help at home so that every day can be a little bit brighter for you that's yeah, a very so eye open look, right i love that i love that like those decisions right and sometimes we yes. don't feel like we're so overwhelmed we don't even have the energy to like look at the the decisions that we have available to us i love that yeah 
I hope I hope that was helpful. I'll try to recap it. A a lot is on the mom's shoulders. So start preparing mm-hmm. early, even when you're starting off your career. Don't put off financial planning for having a family until you're pregnant. I know that we not we we can't all have a child exactly when we want to, but many women wait too long and don't factor the 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 impact of of motherhood and caregiving on their career. So start thinking about it early. Network with financial planners. There, it's not that easy to find financial planners who are supportive of mothers. We looked long and hard before we found somebody who actually designed questions and tools to reflect on the impact of caregiving on finances. So start networking and find somebody who will work with you to plan as a mother and as a professional, right? And then get curious about support systems. We in our community made a whole list. We recommend services to others. Once people have a good grasp on their finances, Andrea, I'll give you one success story. One person in our community came in, not even interested in the financial planning component of our program. Their net worth plan was, oh, I think we want to have $1 million in our net worth plan. A week later, after she met with our advisor, she says, Kenya, we have a $6 million net worth plan. We don't have to work more. We just have to reallocate their assets. We, we don't. So $1 million to $6 million. I think that in that sense, when you look at it from that perspective, and you're going to pay in for a living nanny for one or two years, but it allow you to make more million, you know, so many more millions in your lifetime. That's a huge mindset shift. Yeah, right? totally. Right. So I know it went a little bit all over the place is my key message is be open minded and look at your numbers differently. Look at your career capital differently and really need uh, look at what investments do you need to make to enjoy those young years with your kids and put the structures in place so you can afford those support systems. It doesn't yeah, happen so I think overnight. I think the but, key is that shift from short term to long term, which yeah. I think nobody ever talks about. Right. I always hear these stories of women being like, oh, I just I st-, and they make these decisions, these really big decisions that have a huge impact on their lives of like based on the short term cost of daycare. Right. Like, oh, by the yes. time I pay for the daycare, it's not worth it for me to go to work. Um, and they're really just looking at that like year, maybe two, three year time period. And they're not realizing that, OK, if you take three, four years out of the workforce, what impact does that have on your financial future and thinking of it in that big picture? I love that answer. Thank you for that. Have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? It's that feeling that you don't deserve to be there and you don't know what you're doing. At any moment, people will reveal that you're a fraud and that you don't belong. Until recently, imposter syndrome was considered an internal problem, something that's in your head and it was up to you, the individual, to solve this problem. I want to tell you today that this assumption is wrong. There is new research that explains why imposter syndrome is a systemic issue and not an individual problem. We've created a free report exploring the evidence and providing strategies companies can use to address this. Here's the truth. If you're a woman in construction, imposter syndrome is not all in your head. Get the report at ambitiontheory.ca forward slash imposter. And now back to our conversation. So I have some more questions specifically about construction and navigation and like really what needs to happen in the workplace to really achieve like that success, like a mother. Um, So one thing about construction, which is different than some industries is that construction is project based. 
And what I've seen with our clients is that parental leave can be a huge hurdle for people in their career progression. So what happens is like it's project race. So you, you leave to go on parental leave and somebody else steps in and they will continue till that project is done. Right. So you can't step in and not necessarily like step in and out of that role. And then when people come back, they're almost feels like they're starting from scratch again, find like rebuilding their reputation, finding a place for them to land. It's, it's never, it never really goes smoothly. So what are some things that people can do that like with parental leave so that you can kind of step out and then come back in and not lose that momentum that you've already built? You have to be extremely proactive. Don't wait until you're about to give birth to think about those questions. Think about them well in advance. Think about the impact you want to make as a professional in your industry and communicate it effectively. So when we work with women who have had success getting a promotion during or after maternity leave, and those are in in engineering fields, those are the key studies, but there are many parallels too with construction and engineering. Often you're the only woman in the room. We work on personal branding. So that means you, we work on, on a long-term career plan, on an impact map, and on a personal brand. And an impact map is, again, get, getting outside of that external validation to how do I want to make the world a better place for my children? So as a woman working in construction, if you're going to persist in your career against the odds, why are you doing it? What kind of, what kind of professional do you, want, do you want to be known for? What kind of impact do you want to be known for? What do you want your colleagues to say about you in 25 years when your child looks back and says, my mom was an amazing professional in the construction industry. She achieved X, Y, Z. I'm so proud of her. That can give you a sense of purpose. And then you have to communicate it through a strong personal brand on your social media, in your dialogue with your managers and with your colleagues so that they keep you top of mind during parental leave. From that, you can choose how long your parental leave is going to last, whether you're going to split it with your partner, right? And what kind of opportunities you want to be kept in mind for. And we've seen huge success with that. When women decide they know what kind of impact they want to make, what they want to be known for, they ask for it, they documented and they communicated before, during and after their leave. We see that their career progression doesn't stall in the same way as for people who completely pull back, don't communicate, don't have a plan, don't articulate their value proactively. That's what's available to individuals. If you want me to speak to the company side, I can do that as well, if you're interested. And if that's- Yeah, I think that'd be great. Yeah, what can go, because we talked a lot about what women can do. I'd love to know what are some things that companies can do to really step up and support the mothers that work there? So there are companies who are starting to reach out to us. And what we realize is that we're really at the awareness stage. Uh, A lot of companies, it's the first time they're having those conversations. So they can do some awareness training in their companies for their managers to highlight the challenges that moms face and fathers face when taking parental leave and have better communication around expectation and career goals. So One thing, pause to- for a sec. I love that yeah. you said parental leave for fathers, because I do think there's this like unwritten rule, like a lot of, of parents are, there's a bit of a fear of even asking about mm-hmm. parental leave for both parents. Cause I love that you're saying that it's like, we really need to talk about it. I think as parental leave versus just um, for mothers. Yes, that's, that's a really good observation. So the company specifically I have in mind has developed a really proactive policy in terms of supporting fathers, and they, they put in the documents, the policies, the structures and the communication, and more and more fathers are starting to take parental leave. 
they start bringing in workshops about the challenges that parents face and the solutions for leaders. So number one is awareness. To position yourself as an ally for parents. If as a manager, you communicate clearly that, hey, I know that my employees have caregiving duties. I want to factor that in into a career development plan. I want to train myself on what changes you go through, through parental leave transitions, right? Or caregiving transitions for the elderly. My door is open. That is a huge step that companies can take. Actually send that signal. Hey, we see you. We're putting in the training, the policies, the structures, and we're resourcing managers to support you. That sends a strong signal to parents that they are supported. And I see it firsthand in the companies who take those more progressive approaches. Okay. So it's really as simple as just really like being curious, I think, right? It's like, we're going to have these workshops. We're going to create that place where we can talk about these things and really understand. And I love, you keep saying that we're proactive, proactive, proactive. <laughs> I think you said it uh, at least 10 times and like really being proactive, like before and anticipating and understanding those needs. And maybe it's even waiting, uh, like checking in with the new parent to see how they're doing instead of waiting for them to ask for help. Cause that shifts some of the burden away from the mother or the father to, to like that leader or that manager in the company of like being like the bearer of the responsibility to change. I'll give you a really good concrete example. Uh, some well-meaning companies and things are different in Canada than in the United States, right? I know I have listeners in many locations, but in Canada, you can take up to 18 months of job protected leave. And many well-meaning companies have the attitude, hey, see you in 12 or 18 months, enjoy your kids, talk to you then. They disconnect the emails, they don't have a communication plan, and they assume that whoever's taking the leave is not interested in their work. That is an assumption that doesn't apply to everyone. So the well-meaning policy of shutting off email is actually often a hindrance. So the employee feels completely disconnected, uninformed. They may not know about restructuring activities or promotion opportunities. So it is still, unfortunately, often on the mother and the father's shoulders to communicate to their employer, please communicate with me. I give you permission because often by default and law, the employer can't communicate with you during your leave unless you have that permission, right? So that's where the, the training, the structures, the awareness comes in. Because for now, in many companies, you know, it's still on the mom's shoulders to find all those resources. But there are a couple of PDFs, manuals, and resources that we have brought to trainings and said, here, manager, this is a guidebook for you on how to better, better manage parental leaves. This is what the parent is experiencing. This is what good communication look like, looks like. This is how parenthood makes, you know, enhanced skills versus taking away from the parent's skills. This is how we can support your employee. Many managers don't have that training. I notice in my field that many of my managers did not have kids. They never managed a parental leave transition. All they said, like, oh, eat two pieces of cake and good luck. And it's really <laughs> awkward, right? Like they, they don't know what to do. So they won't say anything. And that leads to all these poor outcomes, such as an employee feeling sidelined, unsupported. They come back to work. Their laptop is not available for a week, right? People just go on as if that person didn't exist. That's not helpful. If you have the right training and attitude and awareness, you can definitely move the needle, especially if you're also incorporating the dialogue, not only to mothers, but fathers and other caregivers. You're broadening the scope of the conversation and responsibility to all the stakeholders, not just the mom. I love that. So my, what I'm taking away from this is like, communicate, 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 communicate before, communicate during, communicate after, check in, check in, check in. And that communication, if there can be a policy that the company creates on how really just, does it 
like what I'm hearing from you is that starting with that communication policy may be like the best place to start for a company. I would say that's one of the that's one of the good tools. If you can move the lever of communication for managers and for parents, you can definitely make progress in the right direction. Obviously, you have to allocate budget and priorities to that, make it a true priority to be supportive to parents. It is a cost to companies. They have to factor it in and allocate the resources and time for this to actually happen, right? But communication is one of the key pieces to start. Absolutely. Okay, I love that. So we always like to end our interviews with an action that people can take within 24 hours to implement what they learn. So for all the moms listening, if you want to start engineering your success like a mother, what's the first thing that you should do? I would take a piece of paper half an hour and write down a couple of columns. So this is how I feel today about being a working mom. This is how I want to feel in three months. And this is what I'm going to do about it. And ask the question in four categories, how I feel about my mindset, how I feel about my relationship with my partner, how I feel about my finances and how I feel about my support systems and give yourself a deadline to take an action item in each. So for example, for your mindset, you could sit down and do a values assessment as a mom and write those values on a piece of paper on the wall. For your relationships, book a time with your partner to actually talk about domestic labor and mental load. For your finances, decide maybe I'll find a financial planner to advise me, right? And for my support systems, ask yourself, is there a support system I could use to thrive better as a mother? So kind of like a current state assessment and a three-month state assessment is what we usually do during some of our free workshops. And a lot of the moms find it really transformational and useful and eye-opening. Okay, cool. And then what about companies? So if someone's listening, they work in HR, they're a leader, and they have parents on their team, what can they do? Just a simple thing they could do like today or tomorrow to better support the parents in the company. I would say do an informal lunch and learn on caregiving duties and ask your employees, how have caregiving duties impacted your reality as a professional? And the question can be, for mothers, for fathers, anybody who has an ailing parent or friend, and then just open the door and and say, you know, how has this made you a better professional in your field with those caregiving duties? I think that's a very quick activity with minimal resources that can start that dialogue and trust that the employer actually cares and say, okay, what can I do next to support you knowing that you have these constraints and I understand your reality better. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom with us, Kenia. Um, How do people connect with you? Yes, they can find us on prosandbabes.com, P-R-O-S-A-N-D-B-A-B-E-S.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I'm so great that we got to connect and thank you for all of this wisdom. Thank you. Hey, before you go, I wanted to read a review of our podcast. This one is called A Must. Anyone, especially females, looking to better themselves professionally and personally needs to listen to this podcast. I have taken courses with Andrea and she is amazing. Thank you so much for that generous review. It really helps us to get the word out about the podcast. And now I'm wondering if I can ask you a favor. Can you leave the podcast a five-star review and a comment? Thank you so much. Ambition Theory Women in Construction is hosted by me, Andrea Jansen, and produced by Michael Boyd from Podcast Atlantic. Our artwork is by Tara Andrews. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.